Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Thanks for joining us either on KLTT or on podcast. I am an adoptive mother of four. And I have said yes to seven situations. And so when we started the show, I felt like I knew a lot about adoption. And although I have experience, I am so thankful for people like Ashley Mitchell, who we have on the show today, who have really taught me a lot. Every interview that I do teaches me more and more about the different aspects and hearing different stories helps me understand adoption as a whole. There's so many different parts of it. There's so many roads you can go to get your child. There's so many different voices in adoption. The triad is so important. And I don't think we talk about that enough. And so Ashley Mitchell is here. She has already told her story in Adoption Now. You can find that in Adoption Now podcast. But she's here to talk about what she's doing to help the adoption community. Ashley, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's so good to be back. I'm so excited. Yes, this is awesome. Okay, so let's just rehash your story a little bit. You are a birth mother. You found yourself pregnant and you did not want to be pregnant. I remember that phrase all the time. (laughs) I'm pregnant. I just don't want to be pregnant. I I have to do something. And so you found yourself in an abortion clinic. Yes. So my journey started in an abortion clinic just over 11 years ago when all I could see was I'm pregnant and I need not to be. And that's all I knew how to take care of that, right? Was to go to the abortion clinic. And when that was taken off the table, when the nurse said those four words to me, I can't help you, you know, that changed my life. It changed my life and it put adoption in my path. And I never looked back from that. You were too far along for them to actually. Yeah. So they couldn't help me. I was too far along in the state of Utah for them to perform the abortion. And I walked out of that clinic and it changed my life, changed everything about even being here with you today. You know, it changed my entire future. That's what I love about you is that you took this really painful, difficult story and you made it your platform. And now you're helping women all over the country. And it's very exciting for me as an adoptive mom, because my story is so messy. I mean, a lot of adoptions are messy, but I didn't have a birth mother experience that I thought I would have. In Colorado, you have to have an open adoption. You really don't have that choice as an adoptive parent the birth mother chooses whether she wants it open or closed. And what I mean by that is she can tell you the level of influence she wants on her child. She can co-parent with you. She can be at birthday parties all the way to she just wants pictures. So the whole process for us took so much training about how to approach a birth mother, right? And it's just like this idea. Sure. Writing this letter to this person that you don't know. You don't even know what language you should use. You know, I'm excited about a baby, your baby, our baby, whose baby is it? You know, and how much do you say, I'm so proud of you. And then that's weird because what if she's older than you? And, you know, you're writing to a stranger. And I was so excited to have this relationship. And as you know, my story is not like that. And my birth mothers have been women who were forced into adoption because of either drug abuse, abuse, or they just don't have the concept to have a relationship with us. And so we do have an open adoption, but it's not the same as what you have described. And so hearing your story, I'm like, how beautiful. And so many people after you have told their story about this relationship that they have with their adoptive parents and then with the child that they've placed. And you even taught me, say placed. Don't say give up a baby. (laughs) 
I, I mean, I just love that because I want to be a part of adoption in every aspect. I don't want to just be an adoptive mom that just knows those stories. You know, I want to hear the whole story. Yeah. And we know, you know, we talked about um, the last time we were here together, we talked about the difference between birth mothers who are forced to relinquish through state and foster care versus women like myself who made an adoption plan and was empowered to make a decision, you know, and they're different. They have different needs and they have different levels of openness and understanding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've come so far in the birth mother transition from back in the sixties, you know, through the baby scoop era to now where we're empowered to place our children for adoption and make those decisions. And so if we're going to be here and we're going to be involved, we need to be educated. We need to see where we've come from, and where we are now and where we want it to go. I'm so excited to be a part of all of these pieces, but I'm so glad that anything that I'm sharing is helping <laughs> that you're, that you're being inspired by that. Well, story. I'm being inspired. <laughs> no, I know our listeners are being inspired. I got so much feedback about people saying, Oh my goodness, it's important to understand your birth mother and where she's at and then be able to give her the resources that she needs for us. It was so different, but for another family, having the birth mother over into your home, it's okay. Yeah. You've built a relationship. They are wonderful people that want to be a part of their child's life. For some people that are listening, they're like, that's too scary. I can't mm -hmm. handle that. And how do you address people who are like, <laughs> no, I can't. I just want closed. Well, it's, it is a scary. It's unknown. And we're on the adoptive parent side, they're dealing with their own insecurities and jealousies and bitterness and frustration, just like the other side, you know? So if we can come to the table and have really awkward, messy conversations, and we can break down some of those walls. It's all about defining the roles, rights, and responsibilities. And we can coexist in this relationship and we can coexist as mothers and share that title in a way that doesn't have to be scary if we will have open conversation. I think that that is what open adoption is really about. Yes. People want to say open adoption is this thing. No, it's a thing between you and the parents. You are all talking openly yes. about what's best for the child and what works for you. And so you even said it. If you are insecure, you're feeling like, I don't want my child to call you mom. Yeah. You can talk about that. Yes. Yeah. You know, we try and put a little checklist to it because it is so messy. So we try and control situations because there's so much of adoption that we cannot control. So we feel like if we can control the relationship or the term that you use to define someone in this relationship, that that makes us feel a little bit better. And the comparison out there, you know, you look at one family, again, you went in with an expectation that you were going to have a beautiful open adoption with this beautiful birth mother. Where did you get that from? From seeing all the other situations on social media and things like that. And you took that on is that's how it was going to be. And so when that didn't meet your expectation, it put up a wall between you and your children's birth mothers. And so I think it's important to understand that adoption is complex and messy because no one knows what we're doing. We're all just trying to figure it out and you need to bring it back to your unique situation. Stop looking outside yourself. You can trust your gut. You know what you're doing? Just come to the table with the people that actually are involved in the situation and have the conversations. I love that you said that because that's absolutely true. And that's why we do this show. It feels like Sometimes as we're doing interviews, we want to get to a formula. Like this is what you should do if you're, <laughs> you don't know, because the more we get into these stories, it is so messy, Ashley. Yes. And it's painful and it's wonderful and it's joyful and it's confusing. 
I had a lady that called me and she did a pre-interview, but she was talking about how great it was between her relationship between the birth parent and herself and how the birth parent had had other children that she kept. And I said to her, yeah, but what about the eight-year-old that one day says, wait a second, why did she keep some kids but not keep me? And then she stopped and she thought about it. And it's like, oh my goodness, there's all these questions. And she said, you know what, when I get there, I'm going to approach it just like that. And that's how we go about it too, is when we get there, okay, we are open and we are going to address it as it comes. And unfortunately, I didn't have a birth mother like you, (laughs) but I love you and I love hearing your story. And I think it's amazing. And I think that you are such a powerful woman. What you've done from the story to now, let's talk about that. Yes. You know, I just was talking with a friend yesterday and 11 years later, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. You know, I went from wanting an abortion, not wanting to parent, placing my child, going through my, you know, five years of, I call them my Jerry Springer years, right? <laughs> when I was in horrible pain and grief to really hard road of healing and forward movement, married now, have two kids. I have this son that I place for adoption that I love and I miss and I know I get to see him. He slept over at my house. I mean, if you told me that, you know, 11 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy. And it's amazing, but it has been the hardest, most complex thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I'm a mother. I have two kids at home. My husband and I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I've never done anything like adoption in developing those relationships and navigating what that looks like because that affects every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have two kids at home, but I also have an 11 year old that's not at home with me that I think about when I wake up and I think about when I go to bed, you know, he's much a part of me as my other kids are. And it's something I've had to learn to coexist with because it's not going anywhere. Right. I'm a birth mother forever. And so that's mm-hmm. something that I want women to know is that there is life after placement and we can coexist with this complex dynamic. This dichotomy, we talk about that a lot, the joy and the pain of adoption can coexist together. And how do you maintenance that? I mean, how do you go on a day-to-day basis missing a child? You know, it's interesting because some days, some days it's just kind of normal. You know, it's kind of the norm now. I'm, I'm a little bit removed from it. It's not like when it was those early years where it was so painful And it was the big elephant in the room, you know, that we all knew that Derek was there, but no one was talking about it. And now, you know, you get up and you kind of go through the grind of your day and some days aren't as bad. And then you hit a birthday or a song comes on or, you know, and then you're wrecked for a day. And that's okay too. It's okay to be completely wrecked. We just don't want to stay wrecked, right? We don't want to stay stuck. But Take the time to acknowledge how you're feeling, acknowledge what you've been through and what you've overcome and honor your child. If you are wrecked on a birthday, take the time to celebrate that child and that child's life and honor that child because you're the mother, you know? And so it's okay for the birth moms to feel those things day to day. And it's totally normal. We beat ourselves up, you know, and society wants to champion us. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back for being this superhero that placed my child for adoption. Right. So I want to honor him and respect him, but I'm also going to honor and respect where I am. And if I'm wrecked, I'm wrecked for a day and it's okay. So things have changed so much in the last even 10 years back 
in the day, I always say back in the day, <laughs> back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, if a mother got pregnant out of wedlock, they were shunned. They were either forced into a secret abortion or a secret adoption mm -hmm. and everything was secret. And then how they acted afterwards was unexplainable. Oh my gosh, why are they so sad? Or, yeah. you know, go on with your life. And so there was no care. There was no aftercare. There was no talking about it. And now we're seeing that that's not great. It's yeah. not working out. Yeah, and that so, hasn't worked out so well. <laughs> in the last 10 years, we've done a lot. You are doing a lot. You are making huge changes. But I think it's interesting that you're like, oh, but society has swung too far, maybe, yeah. for you to yeah. say, oh, they're heroes. But you are because you could have chosen something else and not given a baby to a family not place your child, but you chose not to do that. For a lot of women, I mean, they're making that choice to say, you know, I, I got myself into this and I'm going to give life. And I do think that should be honored to some degree, maybe not as heroic as you feel, but people say that to us all the time. Yeah. You're adoptive parents. You're such a hero. Yes. You saved a life. And we're like, yes. that's ridiculous. I definitely think it's on both sides that we kind of maybe have swung a little in. Not that it's a bad thing to celebrate and honor those choices, but maybe we're doing that a little heavy because we don't want to acknowledge maybe some of the pain and stuff. And we're trying to like glaze over some of that stuff. So we want to make it seem really amazing instead of dealing with maybe some of the realities. And it is amazing, but you have to acknowledge that it was built in brokenness mm -hmm. and it can be amazing and still have brokenness in it. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about big, tough girl. So after my Jerry Springer years, when I started to come out and do my healing and, and started to do the work, I had to get my story out of me. Like things as I was starting to be more aware of what had happened to me and when we were finally putting a name to it and I was acknowledging the grief and the trauma of losing my child and, and those kinds of things, I just had to write. So I just started a very, very simple blog is thinking this is for me. It was very healing for me to just write things as they came to my head. And that's actually how all of my family found out that I placed a child for adoption is when I launched a national blog. Wow. <laughs> so I was bombarded for months from family. And it was kind of one of those like, oh, that explains like so much of why you were so crazy for so long. Right. Because it was, it was one of those things that, you know, 11 years ago, I placed my son and then we just went about our business and didn't talk about it again. And so it connected the dots, I think, for a lot of people, which allowed people to show some compassion and support to me, which I appreciated. But it was interesting to watch people like the light go on in their head and be like, oh, that makes so much sense. So I started writing just for myself and people started to read it and started to comment and so it's grown now into this national community of women. And it was interesting because it was specific to my adoption journey. But then we started getting emails from women that are like, hey, I have no tie to adoption, but I think I'm a big, tough girl because I've survived cancer or I am struggling through a divorce or, you know, we buried our son last year, you know. And so women were just adopting the title of big, tough girl just to help them get through their daily life. And so it's just organically grown into this really awesome thing that women have just felt empowered to just get out of bed every day. It's not anything special. It's not anything, you know, it's just, I'm a big tough girl and, and I got this today and it's okay. 
You know, it's interesting that you say that so many women reached out to you because I think about that with adoption a lot. A lot of the conversations that I have, even though it's pertaining to adoption, it can be taken anywhere. And what you're saying about the joy and the loss surviving together, I can think of several situations in my life that have been kind of messy, although there were great times in there. And I tend to shut that down and say, no, it was just all bad. And so we're going to throw it away. And then I throw away all these beautiful other memories because it's painful to keep two things at once going. But I think once I gave into the piece of that, then I was able to embrace the real story And then I got so much freedom. Then you start to tell your story and then you start, the shame kind of breaks off of whatever had happened to you or whatever you don't like. And that applies to almost everybody's probably had a story in their life that has been some failure, some deep, painful loss. I mean, by the time you're almost 40, you've probably gone through it at least one time. (laughs) So that concept and openness, we talk about openness all the time. Well, I've had parents reach out to me and say, you know, my kids aren't adopted, but because I'm listening to this podcast, I need to be open with the things they're going through too. It might not be adoption issues, but other issues, maybe bullying or maybe things that are happening in our family. We are coming into a culture where we're finding that openness is the healthy way to be. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, we know community heals, you know, it's that me too moment, right? We're all looking for the me too moment where we can connect emotionally with somebody and break down the walls of isolation. You know, because when you're going through someone, you're the only one in the world going Mm. through it, right? And so we're breaking down those walls when we're being open and stepping into that true authentic self is owning good, bad, and ugly in your journey and accepting that and having peace with that and sharing that vulnerably, I think is very powerful. And I really pride myself on that part of sharing my stories that I am very vulnerable and raw. And if I can be a voice for people that can't, then I'm okay to take the hits with that too. Mm-hmm. It's because you're a strong person. I mean, well, really a strong I've worked person. really hard at it. <laughs> it doesn't come naturally to me for sure. It is scary. When you released that first blog, were you like terrified? Oh yeah. Yeah. I maybe tried to delete it like 10 times. And my husband was like, no, it's out there. You're done. You can't put the toothpaste back into the tube now. Right. You just have to own it. And I think that that's what's really important is owning your story and owning the truth of your story. And adoption is messy. Unfortunately, the more I do this show, I'm like, (laughs) wow, okay. And everyone's like, I want to hear a happy story. And even in the super happy stories, there's still pain. Yeah, I have a great story. I have a very happy ending to my story. But it started really ugly, you know? And so I can share all the happiness you want, but we're not being honest in the conversation if we're not sharing both sides. I think what's really scary is that when things change for you in your life, it means that your group changes. So even you, when you went through what you went through, right, you had this group of friends and you were all the same and you all did these things. And then all of a sudden when something changes, like you get pregnant and have to give a child up, that changes your whole dynamic of your relationships. And all of a sudden, that's where people back up and get isolated because they don't relate anymore to their friend group or to their family group and they struggle so they get quiet. And today, you don't have to do that because we have this amazing place called the internet. (laughs) And you can find now a new group of people that will understand what you've been through whether it's a group of birth mothers. I mean, you've been so empowered by meeting these other women with similar stories that you can now grow a completely new community. It's really interesting that you say that because it was, you know, during that time after I left the hospital, 
I became a mother for the first time. So I don't fit in my old life. So I'm a mother, but I don't have a kid. So I was in this weird limbo. Like, where do I fit now? You know, I can't go back, but I can't really move forward. And not wanting to change who I was, it was really about finding community that will meet you where you are. And there's, it's everywhere. You can find it anywhere if you're willing to look. Absolutely. We have to take a break. We're so honored today to have Ashley Mitchell joining us. It's just been so enlightening meeting her. She is an author. She's a speaker. She's here in Denver to speak at the National Council for Adoption. She's very inspiring. It's amazing that you have taken that story and just changed it completely around. And now you're helping millions. I'm going to say millions of women. (laughs) Tag it, millions. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Are you enjoying the program today, but wonder how you can hear more stories about the joys and challenges of adoption? Good news. Adoption Now is available on podcasts through iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. We download a new show weekly, allowing you access to every story we've shared. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's story as we get back to the host of the show, April Fallon. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We want to hear your story. Do you have an adoption story? Please email me at april at adoption-now.com. This show is dedicated to giving adoption a voice. Don't be afraid to speak out. Together, we can inspire others. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Ashley Mitchell, who is a birth mother that placed her child 11 years ago up for adoption, and she has an open adoption with the family. You said that your child even came and spent the night with you. Yes, that was a totally weird situation. It was awesome, but it was so weird. But yes, we have come from a few years of closed adoption with no contact to now this amazing open adoption. My kids know him and love him and we all hang out and we're really a family what does he call you ashley and your husband yeah just john john and ashley (laughs) is that weird for you no no because i i understand my role in this and i mean he doesn't need to call me birth mom ashley like that's weird and i'm not you know i'm not mom i would never want to take that from her especially as i became a parent myself I understood more deeply what that title meant. She's in the trenches with him every day. And so I'm just Ashley. He knows that I'm his birth mother. He knows his story. She has honored me greatly in the way she talks about me and the way that she shares my story with him. And we're just John and Ashley. And it's awesome. I like what you said about open adoption. We get lots of questions about open adoption. Agencies listen to our podcast and they always want us to be talking about open adoption because it's big. Mm -hmm. Colorado, you have to have an open adoption. You have no choice unless the birth mother herself closes it. And so there's a lack of education really. But I love what you said is open adoption is about your situation. You come together and you discuss what you can handle and what you can't handle. And they're awkward conversations and they can get messy. But if it's meant to be, you're going to get to the other side. You're going to have to have boundaries. You know, like with us, we do have an open adoption with our two youngest. Now we have to have boundaries because she's in and out of drug abuse and we're not sure 
where she is from time to time. And I could never say, oh, I'm going to send my kids to go sure. spend the night with you. But that's just our situation. Sure. That doesn't mean it cannot happen for other people. And so really knowing when I get into this, I am able to bring what I can handle to the table. And that may change over the years. But like you said, sitting down and talking about it. So if you are thinking about open adoption and your head's about to explode right now, you're so worried about it, you don't like it, you're going to go out of Colorado, I would just say, just realize that you can own your situation. Yeah, I think there's two things that I would tell you. You got to learn to be flexible and you got to learn to laugh the situation because it's heavy. This is really hard stuff. And you've got to be able to roll with it just a little bit because I think what happens is we set these boundaries and these open adoption guidelines for our situation and then life happens, right? And and to think that we can still try and stick to those same things and not adjust those or readdress those, we're really doing a disservice to everybody because You've had relationships with humans before, right? Like in your marriage, you have to talk and compromise and adjust and sacrifice. And it's the same thing, okay? We're just people trying to navigate a relationship. Yes, it's complex. Yes, it's emotionally charged. Yes, it's unique. But it's still just relationships with people and people that we love and care about a lot that are very important. And so there's a lot of grace that needs to be shown and a lot of flexibility, these aren't natural relationships. I think that's yeah. what makes them so challenging is that there isn't a standard like, oh, I'm going to buy a marriage book. Yeah. You know, yeah. these are relationships that are difficult and you can't ask your friend or your mom because yeah. if she hasn't adopted <laughs> or placed a baby, then she wouldn't know. So it's hard to go to people, but here you are. We can go to you and ask you <laughs> questions. Let's talk about this amazing new curriculum that you've launched. Yes. So I was invited this week to come to the National Council for Adoption Conference to present my curriculum on post-placement care. I was so honored that NCFA invited me to come to the table. It's been a really long time since they've had a really strong birth mother voice come to this conference. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal to be invited and it's a big deal to be a birth mother voice amongst, you know, I feel like I'm getting thrown to the lion's den a little bit, but it's a voice that matters. It's the quietest voice in the most overlooked voice in the triad. And it's a big deal. And it was, it was really exciting. What's the triad? I used it too, but I want you to Oh yes. It. Okay. So the triad would be the birth parent, the adoptive parent and the adoptee, which would be the child. So the three of us in this triangle, the national symbol for adoption is a triangle with the heart through it to represent the three members of this relationship. So that's why we have these conversations about all sides. Right, because we don't hear a lot of birth mothers speak out and people are honoring the adoptive parent a lot. Oh, it's amazing that you did this and you saved a child. And then there's this woman that's sobbing in the hospital and she goes home empty and we're not talking about that. And so you're starting to talk about that and you're shedding light on that so that we can understand how can we have healthier relationships. This is very lopsided and has been for a long time. And so what can we do for these women? And who are these women? Yeah, who are they? That's the first question is who are they and what role do they play in this and why does their role matter? Mm -hmm. And it matters a lot. The children are here because of the biological parents. Even in the worst situations, the children that we love and adopt and care for and want to serve came from somewhere. 
And we forget that when we get so wrapped up, it's all about the kids and we need to honor and love and parent the kids. But where did they come from? We just seem to forget that piece. In my experience, and this is only my experience, I will say that when we went into it and wanted open adoption and then it was closed for us, I was slightly relieved. It was my first child. And once you bring that child home, you're like, oh, I'm the only parent. We don't know any other information. And we bonded to him so quickly. He attached to us so quickly. It was just an amazing story. Honestly, if I would have stopped there, I would have been a mother that was like, adoption's amazing. (laughs) No loss. It's just wonderful. All the good old denial days. Right. (laughs) And when you have an easy adoption, easy. I mean, it was difficult in some areas but when a child gets placed with you in two weeks and it's a hospital drop and you go and get the baby and there's no other history it just feels like "Ah." yeah (laughs) and then we kept saying yes and so we've been through the trenches but when I met my daughter's parents and we became friends with them and in a relationship with them is when I really understood this relationship was really special and I learned so much about them okay fast forward six years, my son is now asking me questions about his family and I have nothing. And then my daughter asks, and I have a book (laughs) and I see the difference in the child when you can tell them all the information. Oh, they're so hilarious. Oh, and you make that face just like them. They just light up. And it doesn't mean that they love me less. It doesn't mean that they're packing their bags to go find that person yet. But what it means is that I'm filling in that mystery for them. And I did not know as an adoptive mom, how important that is for a child. Yeah. It changes them. They feel like they belong, that they weren't abandoned, that they are a part of something bigger, that they did come from somewhere and that they matter. And it's important. It makes me feel emotional because my daughter's birth father wept. And he said, this is your happiest day and my worst day. And I'll never forget his face just grieving as he's signing the paperwork and he can barely do it. And I can tell her that story. Your dad loved you so much. This was very difficult for him. And he felt deeply about how you were going to be. And for that first year, he called me every single week to find out how she was doing. He just wanted to let me know that all the kids in their family walked later, which she did. He said, don't take her to the hospital and tell them that she can't walk. She can. We're just slow walkers. We're slow to do certain things, but we are smart. And he would tell me all these things week after week. And I can tell her everything. And then my son's like, well, What about my story? And so I'm a big promoter now of finding any information that you can when you show up at the hospital and having that relationship, even though it might be difficult and it might be painful. I would not have a relationship with my younger two daughters, birth mom, if it wasn't for that situation and it wasn't seeing my son's face as he's asking me questions. That part of his story made me go through what I did with the other two Mm -hmm. because even though it's a difficult relationship, we are working it out and... I don't want to lose connection with her because I need to know her story. I need to know about the children that she has home. I want to be able to tell them something. So you're doing this for a lot of adoptive parents. You're teaching us. Mm -hmm. And you're also, this curriculum is really for a birth parent, right? Yes. So this curriculum is for the agencies to serve the birth mothers. So it was created to go into the agencies, you know, we talked about this last time I was on this show that it was like, the more we know, the less we wish we knew in the industry, right? right? right. <laughs> and so this is one of those things that I just see, we're have an opportunity to fill the gap and 
post-placement care is a huge gap. And so I want to hold the industry accountable. I'm a fan of the agency. It terrifies me to think of a world without agencies. Adoption is not going anywhere, but if the agencies are not there, they are the only ones that are capable of servicing the post-placement care. They have the licensed professionals. They have the setup to do it. They just need to know how to do it well. And I believe that there are agencies out there that are birth mother minded that want to do it well. So this curriculum was designed for them to implement so that they can run free lifetime post-placement care because I do not believe that post-placement care should be a luxury for women. You should not be out counseling because you don't have $80 an hour. It's not right. And if the agencies and the industry are going to be there in the brokenness, they should hold their hand in the rebuild. And they have the ability to do that. You know, I used to run private groups myself and it's emotional work. And it was a lot. And I was reopening my wounds all the time. And I was on suicide watch with women at 2 a.m. because they were grieving. And I was like, I am not qualified Mm -hmm. to handle this. And it's too much for me, for one person. It needs to go to places that can facilitate these very delicate grief and trauma situations that they can get the help that they need. And it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be offered for free. And so this is what this curriculum is about. I agree. Now, would that cost an adoptive parent more? No. Does every birth parent have to go through that? Can they choose this service? Yes. So the idea is that the agency offers this service. You know, we're expanding their offerings like on their website, right? And it's a big draw to say we offer free lifetime post-placement care because as we know, I'm a birth mother for life, okay? Mm -hmm. It doesn't end at the hospital. And 10 years from now, you might have a sleepover and it might put you in a tailspin or, you know, those kinds of things are going to happen. You're going to have your first pregnancy after placement and not be able to emotionally connect with that pregnancy. You know, all those things that you wouldn't even think about or understand are going to happen to you are going to happen. And so you're going to need a place to go when those things hit you. So the goal is to have every agency in the country, you know, just my little small goal, (laughs) offer this free lifetime post-placement care. And it's a support group once a month and the women can come or not come. They can come once and then not come back again for six months, but it will be consistent and it will be free. And the curriculum is not adoption-based. It is emotion-based. So it is you know, we don't need to keep beating the dead horse, right? We get it. You know, I got pregnant and I placed a child. Like, can we stop talking about that? I need tools on the now what, Mm -hmm. you know, I placed my child. Now what, now what happens? And so this curriculum is designed to teach them life lessons as women and how to be good humans and how to break the cycles. They're building emotional toolkits so that they can do the work and they could move forward through the grief. So all the agencies that I have been in contact with are very pro birth mother, right? Where they almost take the adoptive parent to the side, like you should get over your emotional, you know, if she changes her mind, if she changes her mind, it's her baby. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, then on the other side as an adoptive parent, I'm like, oh my gosh, wait a second. If the birth mother changes her mind and they are emotionally 
devastated, but also financially devastated, who's speaking for them? I wish that agencies would hire people. One person is for the birth parent. One person is for the adoptive parent. So that one, me, like let's say I work at an agency, I'm not trying to take care of both of their needs because all of a sudden I'm going to choose one to side over because it's emotional. You need people to speak for you on both sides because both are going through trauma. Mm -hmm. One has gone through loss of probably IVF, infertility, never being able to carry a baby and trying to scrape the money to now adopt. And the other one is deciding, am I going to be able to live with this decision of placing my child with this family? And so it is a crazy mess of emotions. Yes. And the agencies that are more birth mother minded, we are finding, I had the opportunity to go to Florida to work with a pilot agency for this curriculum, Destiny Adoption. They're amazing and they have that set up. They have a woman that strictly deals with the adoptive parents and then they have a woman that deals just with the expectant parents and the birth parents because they're completely different conversations, right? And we don't need too many cooks in the kitchen telling everybody what they need to do and how they need to handle it. And so because they're structured that way, it's easier to implement these kinds of curriculums and this model because they've already kind of made the division that they need their own care over here and they need their own unique care over here. Oh, I love that. Yes. That is so awesome. And I would say if you are just starting the process, this is going to be a heavy show for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen to the show later. <laughs> but if you've already come this far with us on the podcast or on the radio program, I want to say, look for these things in an agency. Know that the social worker as an adoptive parent is going to be on your side, but also know you need to have birth mother care as well. There needs to be someone there that is strictly for her, talking to her, getting her needs met, and also protecting you as well. In Florida, you went to the craziest state. Yes, yes, for birth mother support. I love the agencies in Florida. I'm trying to be really careful here, but it is one of the worst in the country for post-placement care. But the agencies that are there are aware of that. You know, a lot of that is some of the healthcare issues and some of the laws and stuff, and they are working really hard. The agencies want it to be different. They want to change, and they're excited about this program because of that. I took my birth mother to a Medicaid appointment, right? And this is in Miami. Medicaid is different in every single state. Let me just say that. We walked in and she signed in for an appointment and the lady said, here, pee in this cup and hold it. And I said, I'm sorry, she's here for an appointment. And she said, I don't care. And I said, well, it's 1130 and I have to get on a plane and I'm adoptive mom and I'm sure you want to hear the story. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. She can stand in line. And I was like, a line? She has an appointment. She's like, she's probably going to be waiting two hours and she can get in line. And I turned and I looked and there were probably... 11 pregnant women standing in a line on a wall holding their pee. It was outrageous. I mean, I just started crying and I'm like, this is the care that we're giving these women. What you're saying about Florida is absolutely true. And I wish that I could have given her what you were offering with this curriculum. I wish that I could have said, hey, there's something for you to go through because I know that you've given children up and they've been taken or you've been placing them. Mm -hmm. There is so much grief that you have to work through that if you're ever going to have a normal life. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing. Yeah. I was trying to do it, right? Yeah. And, and what, I'm not yeah. qualified. Yeah, and you can't be that person. And what we're learning that a lot of times, the adoptions and the placements for women, 
is a lot of times just kind of the end result of a whole bunch of other yes. stuff in their life. Yes. And so we've got to dig deeper than just the surface. We think, oh, she got pregnant and placed her child for adoption. We need to deal with that issue. Let's dig a little bit deeper than that because there's a lot of other stuff going on. A lot of times the fire that they need to put out with adoption is the smallest fire in their life. Right. I love talking to you. We I could just do so <laughs> many shows because you just, you're a great voice for this aspect of adoption. You. You're a great voice for this triad and adoptive parents need to stop and listen. We just need to listen. We can't figure it all out. Yes, it's hard and it's confusing and we're sticking together in our communities. But if we just close our doors and only talk to other adoptive parents, then we are not getting the full story. And so we have to be open and listen to hard things to try to make our families better and stronger. And that's what you're doing for so many people. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm going to put all of your information on Facebook and on my website. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.